everybody. Welcome to Dying with Divine. My name is Ashley. I'm your host. And today we'll be exploring the mystical, the magical, and everything. So on today's episode, we'll be talking about old lady with bad rock and a queen man who managed to use pigeons as a weapon. So I just want to say hi to everybody. Welcome. Um, I hope everyone's having a good week. And if you're not, I hope it gets way better. So today we have a fantastic guest. I'm very excited. Madame Pamita is a Ukrainian diaspora witch, teacher, best-selling author, candle maker, spellcaster, and tarot reader. She has a popular YouTube channel for teaching witchcraft. She hosts the Magic and the Law of Attraction and Baba Yaga's Magic Podcasts. And she is the author of Baba Yaga's Book of Witchcraft, The Book of Candle Magic, and Madame Pamita's Magical Tarot. She is also the proprietress of the online spiritual apothecary, The Parlor of Wonders, and she lives in Santa Monica, California. Hi, Madam Vamita. How are you? Oh, hi, Ashley. I'm so happy to be here with you. This is wonderful. <laughs> just to get to talk and discuss magic is just like my favorite. So I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. So the first thing I just want to ask you about is like, so how did this all happen for you? How did you get to where you are now? How did it all start? What's your what's your origin story? Well, my origin story, I love it. My origin story, like I'm a Marvel superhero or something. Yes! <laughs> I, I, I grew up in a magical household, although I didn't realize it at the time, mm-hmm. you know. My, my grandmother on my mother's side was a healer. And my mom, who grew up in that environment, was really accepting of magic and you know like she bought me my first tarot deck when I was 10 we had a Ouija board in the house I mean we had all that stuff wow as long as I was Catholic she didn't care you know <laughs> same yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> so it's very interesting because in Ukrainian magic there is that blending of the old ancient animist we could even say animist i mean it predates even paganism those rituals and traditions that are blended with an overlay of christianity and so it isn't seen as something that's bad it's like oh you do that but you tack on mary and jesus you're fine so i grew (laughs) i grew up in that environment so i was always doing magic but i always had this idea that i this was what everyone did like i thought Mm -hmm. that's how everyone (laughs) was yes you know what i'm talking about right yes 100 (laughs) percent. yes yes so I think, you know, there's, there are people that grow up in these environments where people practice folk magic and they don't look down on it or, you know, they don't think of it as evil, satanic, witchcraft. Mm-hmm. It's, it wasn't called witchcraft. For sure it wasn't called witchcraft. It was just called, like, this is like the thing we do to get yes. this, right? <laughs> this is what we exactly. do. So I grew up in that environment. As I said, I mentioned before, I got my first tarot deck when I was 10 years old. I used to play with them like paper dolls because obviously I wasn't like the child prodigy who was doing readings at 10. <laughs> started, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't Mozart of tarot. So, and then when I started to be in my teens, that's when I started reading for people, practicing magic a little bit, but there was very, I'm 58, I'm gonna be 59 this year. There were very limited resources. This is before the days when they were making books for teenagers. So I would find what I could find in the library. Libraries mm-hmm. were my like uh, my like favorite. And I would, you know, I could find anything. And back in those days, this was the 70s. It was like mm-hmm. ESP, ghosts and paranormal. Mm-hmm. 
aliens and things like that. And I always look at those kinds of books and be fascinated with that. And then when I got to be in my teens, I could drive around, I could get to a bookstore. I had some, you know, I was always working. I always had a job from 15 yeah. on. I had a little money to spend. Then I started getting books and then found others who are practicing and, and um, learned from other witches. And that's when I got started. So is that a good enough origin story? It's not very oh. exciting. I didn't get bit by a spider or you know <laughs> nuclear accident or anything like that. <laughs> That's totally fine. That's a perfect, wonderful, beautiful origin story. I love it. I think it's so interesting in so many cultures. Like a lot of that happens in my culture too, where it's like, there's things that we just do and then everyone's like, well, that's just the thing you do. But when you really think about it, it's like, no, we do this for a reason because our ancestors did it. But now it's like, no, but we don't do that because we love Jesus. Yeah, like, in my culture, it's the same. There are certain things, even simple things. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I was like, you know how people like in gangs pour out wine or beer or whatever for their back in the 90s, their homies, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's like a magical practice. And people like have literally forgotten that that's like, this is a thing that people did. And it's in a lot of cultures, people give offerings to the dead and things like that. But you just think it's so normal because we've all just been doing it for so long. And because a lot of these cultures have been colonized by Christianity. So we all just assume like, oh, no, no, no it's just what we do. You don't really think past that. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. you know, can I just say one thing? <laughs> yeah. When you're talking about pouring out for your homies, all I mm -hmm. can think of is that Key and Peele comedy little skit that they had where he's like, I don't want to pour, I don't want to waste it. <laughs> Don't he, can't he just get it without me actually wasting the, the, yes. the mad dog or whatever he's wearing? Yes. <laughs> so. That is so fun. <laughs> oh, God. I love it. So, so, okay. You've written a few different books. You've written a book about candle magic. You've written about Baba Yaga. And what, when you wrote, because we're going to talk about Baba Yaga a lot in a couple minutes, but these different books that you wrote, I mean, at the time, you didn't have like a lot of books, like you were saying when you were growing up that you could reference. Would, is that part of what inspired you to write all these different books? You're so amazing. You're so, you must be my psychic friend because <laughs> <laughs> you, you hit the nail on the head. When I create something and, and any, like I'm, I'm what I call like, uh, I guess I would say practical witch, right? Mm -hmm. If something already exists out in the world, I'll go buy that thing that somebody else has created. But usually what inspires me is when i'm i have i want a certain thing to be out in the world and it doesn't exist out in the world mm. that's when i'm like oh then i can make it right yeah i can do it so i i'm also a candle maker and back when i started making candles we could not find figural candles in a good variety i mean there had used to be a dealer a big manufacturer here but it got bought out by somebody who didn't really know what they were doing or didn't understand the magical community mm -hmm. they're just a business person so you'd be like going trucking on down to the store and it'd be like blue male figural candle and a an orange female and that's all they had in stock and I'm like but I need red or I need you know this and I need this shape and I need that Plus, I also have this great fondness for beeswax as safe, nurturing to our bee communities, bee populations, because the more we buy beeswax, the more bees, beekeepers are able to care and steward these bees. Yes. And so, and beeswax is super magical going back in history. 
paraffin that most candles are made out of is, is a relatively new development, new material. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I, I said, well, I want the candles. I want the candles that I want and I want them in beeswax. And at that time, nobody was doing that. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, well, I'll start doing that. I'll start mm-hmm. making them. And I figured it out. <laughs> Like how to do it. The same thing with my books. Um, I wanted there to be a tarot book that reflected my long history with the tarot as a tool for leading you to your solutions and your success rather Mm -hmm. than this like, oh, you get the tower card, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. How do we work with energy (laughs) of the tower card and how do we navigate that? Like that's what I'm interested in. And the same thing with a candle book. I saw a lot of recipe books out there. I did not see a book that told you how the nuts and bolts and how to create your own spell. So I have everything in that book. And then the Baba Yaga book, there was nothing about Ukrainian magic and very little and very little good information about Slavic magic. So because that's my heritage and my background, I'm like, I got to write about this. Mm-hmm. So, and that, you know, really, I think was inspired, like, as I'm a spiritualist as well. And so it's really inspired by spiritualism and the spirit of my grandmother and the spirit of Baba Yaga coming to me and saying, you need to do this. And yeah. as a result, you know, a book, writing a book, the process of writing a book takes three years. You have to create a proposal, then you write the book, and then it has to be edited, and they have to get the illustrations. That whole process takes two two to three years. Mm. So I started this book way before there was any, you know, inkling that there was going to be this full-scale invasion into Ukraine. Yeah. And then the book comes out at the time when everyone knows about Ukraine and is interested in Ukraine. And I say, that's not my doing. That's not me being psychic. That's my spirit saying, start now, because yes. when it comes out, it's going to be... Um, you know, it's going to be the right time for this book. So my ancestors, my spirits, I work with them all the time. So that's what I create. So I create what doesn't exist out in the world. That's my inspiration. If someone else has made an amazing book about something else, I don't feel the need to compete or write my version of it. I just go to their version and I recommend tons of books to people that are amazing books that are way better than anything I could come up with. So yeah. Okay, first of all, when you were talking, I got chills throughout whole my whole body. And <laughs> I was like, oh, God, I love this. And then so also I got your book the other day because I was like, I'm going to talk to this woman. And I haven't read her book yet. So I'm thinking like, oh, I'm just going to read this book. It's gonna t-. No, that's not true. This book has so much good information in it. I'm like looking at it. I'm highlighting. I'm putting my little cute little things I bought the other day, like to put bookmarks in my book so I don't mess them up. Oh my God, it is extensive. It is so good. Like, yes, the amount of good information that I'm like, wow, like this is so interesting. The one part, even I was reading how you talk about like the different practitioners in like Slavic society, even that's so interesting how you really explain how they're different. Even that, just like that little section, I was like, oh, this is such good information. I loved it. And I just collect books anyway. So anytime (laughs) I get a good book that I can reference over and over, I'm so excited. And I just, oh, I just love it. Like, I've been looking through it. And for me, like, Baba Yaga, in my, like, shamanic practice, she's actually my, like, psychopump guide. She helps me when I'm moving souls. So when I first started my practice and I found out it was Baba Yaga, I don't know who Baba Yaga is. I'm not Ukrainian or, or Slavic at all. So when I found out about her, 
And everybody's like, oh, this, yeah, she lives in a house and there's chicken legs. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's so unique and and odd, isn't it? Yes. I was like, oh. And like my spiritual encounters with her, especially at the beginning, I was scared because she's like, she to me always made me think of in Snow White, like the witch, right? The mean witch. But then honestly, like I've, she is one of my most loving, supportive guides. Like, She's so supportive, so loving. And also she's like, but she's also like, I'm going to need you to get your shit together. Like, I love you so hard. Yeah, (laughs) She's like, she's that grandma who's not, but she's not taking any of your crap. Like, you can complain to her, but then after she's like, okay, so I'm going to need you to get up and solve your problem now. I'm going to help you. Yeah, I love you to death. But you have to fix your problem because you're not a weak, you're not a weak bitch. Get up. (laughs) A hundred percent. Ashley, this is like, to me, the definitive proof that you're really encountering that spirit. And I've gone mm-hmm. through core shamanism training. I did a year of training and I always visit her in the lower world and she mm-hmm. is a teacher and an initiator. And yes. I often describe her, and you're, this is exactly what you're saying, but I often describe her, I'm saying like, you know, she's kind of like an Olympics coach. She yeah. picks you because she sees something in you that's special. Mm-hmm. Just like, no, an Olympic coach just doesn't go down the street and grab somebody and say, I'm going to, you know, take you to the Olympics. They've got to see something. They've got to see your potential. Mm-hmm. But what, what happens is she sees your potential more than you see your potential. Mm-hmm. So she'll put you through your paces because she knows you can do it. Mm-hmm. So when people are like, oh, I want to be a devotee of Baba Yaga. How do I do it? I go, be ready to do work because it's not going to be... Um, la 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 you know I'm, I'm dancing around and having a good time this is she's she's a coach so yes. when you have to train for the olympics the coach says to you you're going to be here 15 hours a day seven days a week and that will get us the gold medal yeah and when she works with you she puts you through your paces but not to punish you Mm-mm. this is the mistake that people think it's like she's mean she's not yeah. mean she's tough because she knows you can do it more than you know you can do it. And so many times when I was writing that book, I was crying with frustration and just like, why did I even take this on? This is so hard. It was so incredibly hard Yeah. because there's no information out there, very little information out there. But, and I had to do so much research and it was really, really hard and came up to dead ends and not sure how to do it. I had to learn how to read Ukrainian. Like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it was crazy, right? And she the end result was something so beautiful and something that I'm so proud of having that book is something I'm so so proud of because and I give her and my grand grandmother all credit because it was they that said you are the one in the material world who mm-hmm. can do this we are in the spirit world we cannot create this but you have to be the one that shows up for us and then we'll show up. I mean, they show up for me anyway, but you know what I'm saying? So yes. when you're saying you're going to Baba Yaga and she's like, I would say she's not, she's intimidating. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. She's tough and she's powerful. So she's very intimidating, but she's also so loving and powerful so loving. and healing. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, she's a tough grandma. She like she's the kind of like and I'm gonna go for anybody who's listening who's like who's Baba Yaga we're gonna talk about her some descriptors in a couple minutes just so everybody knows what we're talking about but like she's the kind of grandma who she's gonna feed you she'll sit you down and she's like tell me what's going on and you tell her 
and she's like loves you she's gonna give you a hug she'll she maybe slap your face really lightly <laughs> like come on <laughs> but it's you're exactly what you're saying the olympic coach thing is so right she pushes you because she knows you can do it she's not gonna make you do anything and she's also like i'm gonna be here the whole time i'm not gonna let you alone i'm gonna tell you to get it together i'm gonna push you into it but i will never leave you so don't worry and i feel like people get that so wrong about her because they think that she's just like a scary looking old lady and i do i have to say sometimes when she's like in my spiritual practice when she's come to me she's like laughing loudly kind of cackly laugh and i think people would think oh that's so scary aren't you scared i'm like no because she's just she's just laughing at me probably (laughs) she's just like oh silly girl here you go again she's been around for thousands of thousands (laughs) and thousands of years she's seen it all so she's probably like you know she can do an eye she's allowed to do an eye roll one exactly but i think what happens is that sometimes people are if they're disrespectful of her she will come down hard Yes, so absolutely. this is a real trait of all of the Slavic spirits and probably as we look into other cultures too, the same sort of thing that if you come with disrespect, mm-hmm. like if you go onto their land and you destroy the land, there's going to be retribution of some kind. If you go with disrespect and, you know, boss her around, like I never boss a spirit. I never Mm-mm. boss a spirit. When I work with a spirit, I don't come off like this is the other thing that people can sometimes make a mistake of like, oh, I want something. So I'm going to go to this spirit who I've never worked with before and ask them to bring me that. That's not how it works. You don't walk up to somebody on the street and say, hey, give me $20. You can go to your friend. Hey, can you give me $20 and I'll pay you back next week? Because you already have a relationship with them. Yes. So you have to start your relationship with your spirits before you start asking them for favors or boons. Now the spirits can come to you and ask you to do something. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then I will do it. Like if a spirit asks me to do something, I'll do it. Yeah. Like I don't work with Santa Muerte myself. I'm, Mm -hmm. that's not my culture. It's not my, you know, I stay in my lane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Santa Muerte says, I want a candle so that my devotees can have a candle. So I make a candle for, for Santa Muerte, but it's not me saying, hey, this is my gal. Cause she, yes. she's never said, I'll work with you. She says, do this thing for me. And I'm like, okay, sure, I can do that. Black Hawk is another example. Mm. You know, Black Hawk is, comes from African-American spiritualist churches, Mother Leafy Anderson in the beginning of the century. She worked with Black Hawk. And so I'm not Native American, I'm not African American, but Black Hawk said, we need a candle. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're asking me to make a candle? Okay. And then sure enough, that's when all the stuff with like intense social injustice, intense, the the pipeline stuff, you know, the Keystone pipeline and all of those Mm -hmm. things went on like three months after I made that candle. And he is about social justice. So it's not my spirit, but the spirits will sometimes come and ask me to do things. And I'm like, okay, you know. Absolutely. No, I have the same thing. I find it interesting. Like, and I mean, everybody's practice is different. So I don't tell, and I'm not any type of expert about anything, but I find it interesting when people be like, oh, and I just, I really wanted to do this. So I'm really calling on this spirit. And I'm like, okay, you can call on them, but that doesn't mean they're going to come. They're, they're, these are, a lot of, for instance, like Baba Yaga, these are like primordial before time kind of spirit. 
what do you think that us little humans can be telling them what to do for us? That we can't. They, if they will come and they want to come, they'll come. But don't, you know, and like you said, don't insult them because that's insulting. Don't tell them, oh, you, whatever spirit from whatever culture, you have to come and do this for me. Then they'll be like, get away, yeah, <laughs> silly yeah. human. <laughs> yeah. And if it, let's say, you know, let's say I did want to work with a spirit, I would go, I, I would work with that spirit and develop a relationship, make Absolutely. offerings, have a spirit altar in that. Now, the exception to that is our ancestors because we already have a relationship with our ancestors. Yes. So if you've never had a relation, if you've never done any work with your ancestors, I mean, it would be nice if you had a relationship with them beforehand and did stuff with an ancestor altar beforehand. But certainly you could go to your ancestors and say, hey, I'm in a real pickle right now and I really need your help. And they would come forward. But wouldn't mm-hmm. it be nicer? It's like it's like going to grandma who you haven't called in two years and going up to her and asking her for twenty dollars. Yeah, she'd probably give you the twenty dollars, but she'd probably say like, "Why don't you come around?" You know exactly. So I think we have to think of these spirits as having that quality. Now, whether they have those emotions about it, I don't know. I just know this from experience of working with them. That's what I see. Yeah, that's what I see. That's my viewpoint. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm the same. There's spirits that I work with that. Sometimes when I was learning different things, I'd be like, okay, it will, Baba Yaga is one. Like, again, I'm not, you know, I'm not Slavic. So, like, when I started working with her, I just had to talk to her a lot. And I was like, you tell me what you like, you know, tell me what you do. I put her on my altar. I got her a little cauldron. I left her some candies. And then more and more, she would, like, talk to me. She would work with me. But it was developing that relationship. I wasn't telling her what to do. Like, I just said, okay, let me know what you like. And when you want to talk, we could talk. And she's like, okay. You know, and it was yeah. like, that's the way you develop. Like you're saying, that's the way you develop these really strong bonds with these spirits and, like, work with them in the most respectful way, especially when they're not from your culture, too. It's like, when you, but when you approach them with respect, they'll come back to you. Like, you know, it's, that's the best, that's the best way, everybody, to work with the spirit. <laughs> And the safest. <laughs> yeah, and safest, absolutely. And you'll yeah. get a better result anyway. It's like mm-hmm. if you walk up to a stranger on the street and say, give me $20, you're probably not going to get a good response from that. Exactly. You might hit that one in a hundred person, one in a thousand person that's like, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> but but really, you know, we want to get, we want to develop those relationships before we start ha- having our hand out, you know. Exactly. So... Since we've been talking about Baba Yaga, I'm just going to give everybody some identifiers. In case you've never heard of Baba Yaga, these are some things you can know about her. So she is, so what I've researched, they said Baba Yaga, the story of Baba Yaga started in Cynthia, which is like Southern Siberia. And then it spread throughout a bunch of different Slavic countries. So there's some, and if you don't know what Slavic countries, I'll explain. There's, here are some of them. <laughs> Poland, Belarus, Bulgaria, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, Croatia, Siberia, Slovenia, Ukraine, Lithuania. All of this is in Amada Pamita's book, by the way. She, she was, they, I read this somewhere too, that they thought that maybe, because she's such like an old spirit, People thought that maybe she started off as a goddess of birth and death, but then through Christianity, a lot of the time, and this happens in so many cultures, these old, older women or any woman was kind of turned into a witch or these healers, you know, they were turned into witches. So then it became like a bad thing, but they really think that she was like a goddess before all of this. So she was birth, death, she was probably everything. Um, she lives deep in the forest and she lives in a house that has chicken legs 
And she also rides around in a mortar and pistol. Pastel. I always say pistol. Pastel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she would have probably care. You know, she would probably be packing. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> probably. I could see her. She's, yeah. She is awesome. And her house is made of bones. And she always has like a cauldron burn bubbling and something's always, she's always, she's always ready to feed somebody. She's, she's that perfect hostess. She's, <laughs> or eat you if you're or <laughs> obnoxious, you know. Or eat you if you're obnoxious or a delicious looking child, possibly. She has, she has iron teeth, apparently. In some places they say she has iron teeth that protrude like claws. She has hands that are tipped with bear claws. Um, she likes to smoke a pipe. And she really likes animals. You know, she lives in the forest. She gets along with everybody. Um, and she's a big defender of animals. So those are some big identifiers of Baba Yaga. If you don't know anything about her. She, she, one, where's the thing? Oh, she's also known as a mistress of witches. Um, the grandmother of the forest, people call her. The primal mother who rescues, nurtures, and destroys. And I got that from the Encyclopedia of Spirits. That works. Yeah. And she well, can also be petitioned for fertility in some places too. People oh, do that. Oh, that's interesting. Well, yeah. because she's in charge of life and death, and really, if you think this is, there's so many interesting things as I as you dive into her story and learn about this. You know, understanding that in Slavic culture there wasn't a, it wasn't written spirituality. In fact, my grandparents didn't read or write. Mm. That doesn't mean they were stupid. It doesn't of mean. Not. They were they were in an agricultural society, and reading and writing were not so important. Mm-hmm. What was important was working the land, understanding you know how to, how to farm and all of that. So what happened in this culture that this is you know folk magic, and when we talk about folk magic, we're talking about the people's magic. This is yes. the wor- the the people's magic. This is not something coming from on high. This is not something created and written down. This is something that's passed in the oral tradition. So it's passed down from parent to child and these practices are kept in continuity. Now when you have something like the like Christianity come in, then it's exactly what you said. Either your little your deity or your spirit becomes a saint because mm-hmm. we do have that happen a lot. But, or if they're not a, they won't fit in that mold, they're a demon. Yes, so yes. These, so what we have, what we get handed down to us now is all of these very ancient spirits. And I would argue that she may have been a goddess, but I think she precedes the concept of gods and goddesses and is yeah. goes back to that animism where we have spirits. I think these spirits like... You know, the forest spirit, the um, forest grandmother, the house spirit, those, that concept predates these deities that are in the upper world, right? We have in Slavic magic, upper world, middle world, lower world, and those lower world spirits, those kind of earthly spirits, they're still in the spirit realm, but they're more, there's something more, a little bit more relatable, you know, Mm -hmm. they are the older spirits. So I would argue that she's this older initiator. She's an initiator, right? She's there to teach you, right? That's what she's mm-hmm. doing. And initiate you into the into the realm of magic practitioners, you know, witches and magic practitioners. So she tests you. She does these things like a good initiation. Yes. Initiation is not a certificate of participation. You have Mm-mm. to prove yourself yes. to be initiated. Doesn't mean we're keeping you out because we're jerks. 
It's that we're that the initiation means we're we're sh you showing yourself that you're ready. Yes, and you yes. showing us that you're ready, right? Mm -hmm. But primarily, you showing yourself. So whether you are in a practice where you go for like, you know, you go for a three day, uh, three days alone in the woods, and you have to survive, or you have to pass some tests, or you have to do something. In every story, and that's how we keep oral tradition going is through folk tales. Because yes. if Christianity comes in and says you can't believe these things anymore. How can we, oh, well, it's just a fairy tale. It's just a folk tale. There's hidden encoded messages in those fairy tales. And when you understand the language, you start to see, aha. Mm -hmm. So that she's putting the kids, like Hansel and Gretel, which she's putting, they're going to put the kids in the oven, the big wood stove, right? Mm -hmm. She, It's not, I'm going to burn the kids into a crisp. The stove in Slavic beliefs was the home of the ancestors. And there were practices of like, even with a little newborn baby that was a little weak in a, in a, like a mildly warm stove, they would put it on like a, a paddle, mm -hmm. like a pizza, <laughs> pizza paddle, I yeah. guess if you're making pizza and dip that child into the warm oven, we would say like maybe a premature child or a weak child, a weak baby yeah. that was born, dip it into the oven to get to bake the the kid to complete that makes the kid sense yeah and have the blessing of the ancestors so all of that is to say that these these spirits are so old mm -hmm. and i also want to say some i want to say one little thing that you brought up that she's a guardian of the animals mm -hmm. one of the things that she showed me because in her stories she's often surrounded by the ugly animals slimy things, gross things, rats, toads, snakes, and all these cockroaches, yucky things, right? Mm -hmm. Is it because she's yucky? Uh-uh. It's because she's 100% accepting. Aww. Why do we look at a rat and go, that rat is gross or that cockroach is gross? Oh, cockroach is gross, but a ladybug is cute. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why? That's a good point. <laughs> you know, and she doesn't have that judgment. To her, they're all her children, whether they're gorgeous and beautiful or they're rejected. And I, when she told me that, I was just like so unbelievably moved to mm -hmm. understand that that's why she's surrounded by, I mean, there's other reasons. The snake is the lower world and all of that. Mm -hmm. But our judgments about animals, right? This is yes. a good animal and that's a bad one. She doesn't have those judgments. She loves all her children the same, right? Yeah. So beautiful. Ah, we love Baba Yaga. <laughs> She's the best. Gosh. Okay. That was great. All right. So we're going to, next we're going to talk about food because we're going to talk about our dish of the week. We have three dishes this week. Um, and because we're in the Slavic area, we're in Ukraine. Yay. And also, since we're talking about Ukraine so much, I put an article in the show links on ways you can help Ukraine and different links, you know, different organizations can help them in the war effort. So, okay, we'll talk about three dishes that we got. So the first dish, Ukrainian's national dish. I didn't know this was Ukrainian's national dish. Borscht. Borscht is. Yes. And this is the example of like, oh, there's a whole thing. Cultural <laughs> yes, appropriation. <tell> <laughs> Russia has culturally appropriated and stolen and tried and colonized Ukraine for hundreds of years, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen it, especially in Soviet times, but before that even. So borscht is a, is a Ukrainian dish. Then Russians are like, well, we like that. So we're going to say it's ours. And then so 
there's all that. So it is Ukrainian. <laughs> it is Ukrainian. So, yeah. I, I had literally no idea because I'm looking it up and I'm like, at first, because all I think of is Russia when I think of borscht. Like, so I'm like, okay, okay. But then, like, no, it's their national dish. I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. So I was reading about it and I was like, I didn't, I didn't know this at all. So, yes, this is cool. So I. Borscht, I always think of borscht because my mom actually she likes beets. Like so anything. Me too. Yeah, my mom would like borscht. She loved beets. So borscht is a beet soup. It's usually served cold. So usually you make it like a day before. Hot yeah, it can cold. be. Hot yeah, and hot cold. and cold. Okay. Depending on the weather. Like what if it's cold outside you want a hot dish. If it's hot outside you want a cold dish. Yes. Yeah. So what I read is that and maybe they say cold because it is also known as a winter dish. And I think is when I was reading, it makes sense because a lot of the foods, a lot of the vegetables and stuff is stuff people harvested and then like just saved it. Mm-hmm. So they'll make it during the winter when nothing's growing. So I was like, oh, this is great. I and mean, you can put meat in it. You don't, I didn't know that either. You, or it can have no meat in it. It's really full of good nutrients. Honestly, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty healthy. Yeah. I don't know anything about borscht except that it's red and I've only seen it cold. So you can roast veggies put potatoes carrots onions in it you can use a beef shank you can push beef in it you can take it out or you can use just like a meat broth or chicken broth whatever you like and eat your borscht and then when you're done with your borscht you can have something on the side it's called potato varinki 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 thank you so much i'm sorry (laughs) i'm sorry to anybody who is ukrainian i'm messing up your language i apologize (laughs) you're learning you're learning that's all that's good Varenicki. 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 Okay. So these are like pierogies, but Ukrainian style, right? Well, you know, a lot of things that are Polish and Ukrainian, they shared a lot of stuff. So pierogies and varenikis are basically the same. You might have a slightly different fillings, but like in my house, we call them pierogies. Mm -hmm. And so there's the Ukrainian people that call them pierogies, and diaspora Ukrainians that call them pierogies. It's easier to say than Varenicki, so <laughs> I guess that's why. I have a coworker who, God bless her, her mom has to wait, but um, she's Polish and her mom used to make really, really good pierogies. She'd bring in just like huge dishes of it and it would just, oh, it was just oh so gosh. nice. The best with the little uh, like caramelized, caramelized onions, yes. little sour cream on top. It is, that is my super comfort food. Oh my gosh, when I'm, when I'm really yeah. sad or something, I'm like, I'm going to have to enough some pierogies yeah <laughs> i can totally see it i get it and so that's our that we're having our ukrainian pierogies and then our dessert we're gonna have honey babka this is like a cake basically with a beautiful cream cheese oh my gosh filling frosting <laughs> yeah frosting that's the word i'm looking for <laughs> It's a beautiful cream cheese frosting. It actually looks, it's like a sheet cake it comes out like, but it looks really, really good. It's like pretty simple to make, but you can tell that like you really have to take your time with it. But it just looks really delicious when I was reading about it. And, you know, if anybody wants to try, I'm going to put everything in the show notes. Make all this stuff. It sounds very good. Sounds like a really good hearty meal and then a beautiful dessert to go with it. I love this meal. I'm down. I'm ready. I know, right? <laughs> I know me too. I was like, I'm going to make this. I'm trying to grow some beets. I was like, if I grow beets successfully, I'm going to make some borscht and try it again. Because I feel like it's probably tastes pretty good. 
Okay. So this is a part of the show where I'm going to plug myself before we go to the next part. <laughs> if you really like this show, please pause now. And then you can follow us. You can subscribe. And you can give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. And if you have any suggestions for episodes or comments, please feel free to email me at dinewiththedivinepod at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're Dine with the Divine. And on Facebook, we're Dine with the Divine. So all that stuff you can do if you feel like it. Okay. Now, Madam, <laughs> Madam, are you ready for a story? I love a story. <laughs> I'm going to get cozy. I've got my little, I've got some watermelon cucumber juice. I'm going to drink Ooh. that and listen to your story. <laughs> awesome. How refreshing. I love that. Okay. We're going to tell our story today. So our story today is about Olga of Kiev. Have you ever heard of Olga of Kiev? Mm. All right. You're in for quite a tale. Quick note. Very important, everybody. If you have noticed that in the news and stuff, it's Kiev is K-Y-I-V. And this is important. Yes, this is very important because Ukrainians have their own language and their own culture. And since before, when Russia owned them, they were like, having to do read Russian and speak Russian, that was the, the norm. But now Ukrainians have been taking back their own culture. So we say Kiev, we don't say Kiev anymore because that's the way the Russians pronounce it and that's not the way they pronounce it to begin with. So I also put a little article in the show notes about that if you were confused about it because the first time I saw this was on 90 Day Fiance. I love 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> Natalie, who's one of the people on 90 Day Fiance, she was from Kiev. And me and my mom were watching it and we're like, why are they spelling Kiev like that? So we Googled it and we're like, oh, this is the real original way to spell it. Mm-hmm. And also you're doing also saying Ukraine instead of the Ukraine. That's also awesome. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I also, so on my 90 Day podcast that I listened to, they also talked about that. <laughs> we don't say that anymore because Ukraine is just Ukraine. It's its own country and they're their own people. And we love Ukraine on this podcast. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we're going to tell a story about Olga of Kiev. So Olga, now she was born a really long time ago, so we don't know exactly when she was born, but it was sometime between 890 and 925 AD. Pretty sure it's going to be closer to 925 and you'll see later why I think that. So Olga's parents were probably Vikings who ended up in Northern Russia in a place called Skov. That's probably where she was born, but we don't know too much about that. Now, we have to go a little back, stop with Olga, and go back in time. Now, there was this guy, his name was Rurik, and he started a little little group called the Kievan Rus. These are people who lived in parts of Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus, but it was like a bigger area. So he was the king of all of them. Now, he was the king, and everything was going well. He then had a son named Igor. Igor then became the king, and they had some neighbors, and their neighbors were the Drevlians. Now, you may have never heard of the Drevlians, and at the end of this story, you'll find out why you've never heard of the Drevlians. They were neighbors. So the Drevlians were a smaller group, but they were like, okay, we're going to pay Rurik all this money because he's protecting us, and everything's okay. We like him. So when Igor came around, Igor's like, I don't think the Drevlians are paying us enough money. So he went down there and he's like, hey, Drevlians, you guys aren't paying us enough money. And the Drevlians were like, get out of here, Igor. He's like, no. He's like, like, I want my money. So he started to fight them. So 
Oh, also by this time when Igor came in, I guess the Drevlians just didn't like him. So they started actually paying tribute to another tribe nearby. And this extra pissed off Igor. So he went down there and he started a war with the Drevlians. Now he was winning the war with the Drevlians and all of a sudden he just won the whole war. Great. So then he was like, I'm going to go home. So he started to go home. But then he turned back and he's like, wait, I think I want some more money. I don't like how much we just agreed they're going to pay me. Okay, I'm going to pause this story real quick. Go back to Olga. Olga is married to Igor. And Olga and Igor have a son. His name is Svetoslav. Svetoslav. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is their son. And by the time at this point when Igor went to go fight with the Drevlians, the son is three years old. And Olga's just hanging out, waiting for him to come back. So anyway, back to Igor. Igor is like, I don't like what our agreement was when I said I was going to stop this war. Let, I'm going to go back. So he goes back to the Drevlians with just a small group of his men this time, not all his army. And he's like, hey, give me more money. And they're like, absolutely not, Igor. We had an agreement. He's like, I don't care. So they start to fight. And this time they overpower Igor and they capture him and they put him they get two trees, big trees. They bend the trees. They strap Igor to each tree and they let him loose. So they kill Igor, okay? It's sad and it sucks. Now, they sent a couple guys to go now back to Olga to tell her, hey, listen, we killed your husband. So they get there and they tell Olga, we killed your husband. And by the way, since your husband's dead, our prince, Maul, the king of our place, he thinks that you should marry him. And Olga is like, what? <laughs> she's like, I am confused. And what? So she's like, you'll see. Olga is one of the quickest, smartest people you will ever hear of. So at first she was like, oh, man, this sucks. OK, so then Olga didn't take time to grieve. She was like, OK, tell your tell your tell your king I'll marry him. Oh, hold on. I'll give you exactly what Olga said. I forgot I wrote that down. So Olga said to them, your proposal is pleasing to me. Indeed. My husband cannot rise again from the dead, but I desire to honor you tomorrow in the presence of my people. Return now to your boat and remain there with an aspect of arrogance. I shall send for you on the morrow and you shall say, we will not ride on horses nor go on foot. Carry us in our boats and you shall be carried in your boat. So she told the guys, go back to your boats that you came on, hang out there. I'm going to send my army man to carry the boat in. Now, this is like a big honor for somebody to do. So she's like, okay, no problem. I'm going to carry the boat in. Just go chill for the night. I'll be in the morning. And they're like, great. This is awesome. This lady is taking to her husband being dead very well. That's what they thought. (laughs) 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 So they went back to their boats in the morning. Here come the Kievan Rus army they're like hey guys we're here to carry your boat and they're like great so here i'm just imagining this like the kievan Rus army is carrying the boat the guys are in there like yeah look at us oh my god we're probably gonna eat well tonight like she's gonna have a whole party for us okay so now they get to the palace and what they didn't know is that olga ordered some other guys to to dig some really big holes in the ground so near the palace here they come and all of a sudden the kievan Rus men stop and the guy, the Drevlians are like, what's going on? And the Kievan Rus men drop the boat into the ditches because <laughs> she's not playing any games and they didn't know. And then they were basically, they all started throwing dirt on them and buried these men alive. 
She doesn't so, play. Olga does not play. <laughs> Olga's not playing any games with this man. And she said something. I don't have the exact quote here, but she said something like, is this to your liking? Like she screamed that at them. And they were like, being like, she's like, whatever. So, you guys, this is just phase one of Olga's plan. <laughs> It continues. So because back then there was no email, no telephone, no Facebook, she sent one of her men to King Maul's palace. They, he didn't know what had happened to these guys. Nobody left to tell them, right? No. <laughs> Nobody left to let him know. So she just sent one of her messengers there. And she's like, tell Prince Maul that I would like him to send 20 of his best men to come escort me to his palace so I can marry him. So the the messenger's like, okay, no problem. He went down there. He told them. And Prince Maul's like, okay, I guess she's going to marry me. So I'm just going to try to make her happy. So he sends 20 of his best men. They get to the palace. And Olga's like, hey, guys. Oh, my God. I'm so happy you're here. Oh, my God. You must have had the longest trip. And they were like, yeah, we're so tired. She's like, no problem. Why don't you visit our bathhouses? Like, you guys can get cleaned up. Like, you're going to feel so good. It's going to be no problem. So they're like, great. So they go to the bathhouses. I'm imagining it. They probably got all, you know, they took off all their clothes probably. They're chilling. They're talking. They're having a great time. Olga goes and she says to her army, oh, lock all the doors and set it on fire. Her own bathhouses. She said, set it on fire. <laughs> so they did. Olga. So good. <laughs> She's like, you thought you could mess with me, but you can't. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> so she's, she's, they're all dead. Okay. So Olga's like, okay, fine. I'm not done. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> we got one she's, more guy to take care of. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, all right, send another messenger to Prince Small and tell him to bring a bunch of beer to the place that my husband died because I want to have a funeral feast there. So another messenger, he goes again and he tells him and Prince Maul's like, okay. So he gets a bunch of honey mead um, and they get a, like, and she says she wants honey mead. She wants beer. Okay. That's what she wants. So she has this party and it's near the area that her husband died. So they're there. They have a big dinner. All these Drevlians come. Olga and her men are there. Everyone's partying. The liquor is flowing. Everyone's drinking. Or so the Drevlians thought everybody's drinking. No. The Drevlians were drunk, drunk, like wasted, falling over. All the Kievan Rus men were stone cold sober, and so was Olga. And so then, as soon as she realized, like, every Drevlian in the room is drunk, drunk, she told the Kievan Rus to close the doors, stand in front of them, and slaughtered all the Drevlians there. Now, this is all like the Drevlian court at this point. Everybody's dead. This is a big problem. So now she killed everybody. So now she's like, okay, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to get an army because I'm not done. I'm going to get rid of these people. They thought that they were going to kill my husband, get away with it. And yes, I killed a whole bunch of people already, but I have more. <laughs> so <laughs> Her revenge was never ending. <laughs> so she's like, she went home, got together her army. All this time, meanwhile, she's the queen regent. And she was like the first queen regent of the Kievan Rus. Like, this, this wasn't supposed to happen. But because her son was three, she couldn't, he couldn't be king. Yeah. So now... She's there. She's like, okay. She got her army together. She built up more of an army and she went to go fight the Drevlians. Now, the, this went on for like a year and the Drevlians were getting tired. They were basically ended up being locked in their city walls. 
and they were starving at this point and they were just getting tired of war. So Olga came to them, probably standing outside the war- the walls with like a blowhorn or something. And she's like, Drevlians, listen up. You guys want this to stop? I got something for you. This is what you're going to do. I need every single Drevlian household to get me three sparrows and three pigeons. And they were like, what? <laughs> she's like, you heard me. I need three sparrows and I need three pigeons. And I'm going to finish this off. This war will stop. So the Drevlians are tired, but they're like, okay, fine. Whatever. Whatever she wants. Just give it to her. So as soon as she gets all the birds, she gets the, the Kievan Rus army to tie sacks, little, little piece of cloth filled with sulfur to every bird. And she lights them all on fire. And what do birds do? They always go back to their nests. So they go back to the Drevlian territory. And as I know, it's, it's pretty extreme as obviously all the fire is dropping from the birds back then, these walled cities were all made of wood. So everything burned to the ground, like thousands of people died and who didn't die were, became slaves. She enslaved them. So again, like I said at the beginning, if you've never heard of the Drevlians, this is why she wiped them out. Like there was no more Drevlians after that. They all kind of got absorbed into the Kievan Rus. So as extreme as this was, you'll see at the end of the story, Olga does end up becoming a saint and you'll see how. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. So now Olga has killed the Drevlians. She's done with that. So she goes on to become the ruler of the Kievan Rus. Again, she's a first female ruler. And apparently she was a really great queen. People liked her. She was good with military tactics. She actually saved them from, I'm not sure the name of the group, but one of the Turkic groups kept kind of trying to attack them. But she was really good at holding them off. She was a very good negotiator. Olga was fantastic. People really liked her. So now her, her son got older and he was ready to rule. So she let him rule. But anytime he went on a military campaign, she was the ruler because that's how much everybody trusted her. So. Now it's like the 950s and Olga's like, I want to go on a little vacation. She's like, I did a lot of I did a lot of fighting. I did a lot of ruling. I think I'm going to go on vacation. So she goes on vacation to Constantinople, which is modern day Istanbul. And at this time, Constantinople was like the center of Christianity in the east, in the eastern Europe. So she's like, I'm going to go there. I just want to see what check it out. So she gets there. She's a queen. So, of course, she's going to go to the court and she goes to the court of Constantine the seventh. So as soon as Constantine sees her, he's like, oh, damn, Olga's hot. (laughs) 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 Or he's like, I don't want to (laughs) die. I heard she's crazy. I like my life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I heard she doesn't take any mess from anybody. She's like, so he sees her. He thinks she's so pretty. And then he starts talking to her and he's like, oh, my God, she's so smart, too. Oh, my God. So he's like instantly in love with her. And he's like, you've got to marry me, please. And Olga's like, listen, I can't marry you now. Hold on. Olga, like we know, she's smart. Olga realized that if she married Constantine, the Kievan Rus would then be absorbed into the Byzantine Empire, which is not great for them. They would lose their, their independence. Her son would lose his status as king. So this wouldn't be good for them. But she also can't uh, insult the emperor of the Byzantines because that's it's this is the Byzantines are a big deal right now. Like they're a big, big deal at this time. So she's like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? So she tells him, she's like, oh, Constantine, this isn't how I have in my head. I can't marry you. 
I'm a pagan and you're a Christian. And Constantine's like, okay. And she's like, but if you baptize me and teach me about Christianity, then I can marry you. And he's like, okay, cool. So he starts teaching her about Christianity. He baptizes her. And this is what happens. Let me read this little quote here. The reign of emperor, the reigning emperor was named Constantine, son of Leo. Olga came before him, and when he saw that she was very fair of countenance and wise as well, the emperor, the emperor wondered at her intellect. He conversed with her and remarked that she was worthy to reign with him in his city. When Olga heard his words, he replied that she was still pagan, and that if he desired to, to baptize her, he should perform this function himself. Otherwise, she was unwilling to accept the baptism. The emperor, with the assistance of the patriarch, accordingly baptized her. When Olga was enlightened, she rejoiced in soul and body. The patriarch, who instructed her in the faith, said to her, Blessed art thou among women of the Rus, for thou hast loved the light and quit the darkness. The sons of Rus shall bless thee to the last generation of thy descendants. He taught her the doctrine of the church and instructed her in prayer and fasting in almsgiving, and in the maintenance of chastity. She bowed her head, and like a sponge absorbing water, she eagerly drank his teachings. The princess bowed before the patriarch and said, Though thy prayers, holy father, may I be preserved from the crafts and assaults of the devil. She really, she was, she was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> At her baptism, she was christened Helena after the ancient empress, mother of Constantine the Great. The patriarch was then blessed, blessed her and dismissed her. So, she got baptized and then Constantine was like, okay, great. Like, let's get married. And then she's like, but Constantine, don't you know that now you're my godfather. You baptize me. And in Christianity, incest is not allowed. And Constantine's like, damn, Olga, you got me. <laughs> Checkmate, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing I love is there's a quote and it says, then the emperor said, Olga, you have outwitted me. He gave her many gifts of gold, silver, silks, and various vases, then dismissed her, still calling her his daughter. Mm, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know. I was like, Olga's so smart. So, after this, Olga went back to the Kievan Rus, and she was still converted, and then she tried to get her son to convert. What they think, though, is like it was more of a political move. Olga, I don't think she cared too much, but she was just like, this is probably good for the empire, so... Maybe, you know, if we live next to the Byzantines and at any time they could take us over, it might be a good idea for us to just convert just to be cool. But her son was like, no, everyone's going to make fun of me. I don't want to convert. So he didn't. But then later on, her grandson, actually, Vladimir the Great, converted the whole Kievan Rus to, to Christianity. But they do say that Olga is the first person to introduce it to the Kievan Rus and she, when she went home, she did talk to her son and said, okay, if you don't want to convert, that's fine. But maybe just make sure that Christians don't get persecuted. So she actually ended up protecting a lot of Christians in her, in the empire from being persecuted. She built a bunch of churches for them, let them have their own faith. It wasn't a big deal. And then she died July 11th, 969 AD. Her body was actually there. But then I think in the 1240s, the Mongols came and destroyed it. So where her body was in Kiev, there's now a monument there. And I think there's a church built for her there. And she is a saint in the Eastern Orthodox and Catholic Church. 
and she's a patron saint of widows and converts, and she is said to be equal to the apostles. That's how big of a deal Olga is. And all this from a lady who did not stop <laughs> at revenge. She got what she needed, um, but she, but look at her. She was so smart. She was so witty. So we forgive her for all that stuff because she's just like, <laughs> can't stop, like, won't stop, baby. That's exactly, all. <laughs> exactly. She was like, this is what we're doing. And I'm sorry, this is what we have to do. And I love her. And I, I first heard this story. I was like, this woman is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially, Badass. yes, right? especially for a woman in the 900s who like, at this point, nowhere in the world, I think that, that women had a ton of rights. So like, she ruled a whole kingdom after her husband was slaughtered. And then, you know helped her son raised him then she went to go meet constantine she outwitted a byzantine emperor like come on olga is amazing so that's that's the story that's of a, olga I, I knew about her but i didn't know all the details i knew a little like snippets of this and that but it's very interesting because what ended up happening in 988 is that uh, you just said his name the grandson oh vladimir the great vladimir yeah mm -hmm. um he he ended up wanting to have an alliance with Bulgaria. I'm 99% sure it's Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. And she, that, that princess or queen of Bulgaria was Christian. So that's mm -hmm. why he, he wanted to sort of have, so it was all strategic, you know, this yes. is why they were doing it. If, if your neighbors are all Christian and you're pagan, or you have like pagan neighbors on your left and Christian neighbors on your right, and what you want is an alliance, even a loose alliance and support. And, you know, she probably could look at that Byzantine empire. It's an empire. It's big, yeah. they're powerful, and they're strong. Hey, I'm a Christian too. Hey, exactly. we're good, we're good. So I think, you know, that's why these, these uh, you know, conversions at that high level happen is because, and that's why marriages happen. You know, yes. they're like, okay, I want your land. Are we going to make an alliance and all of that? This marriage was usually not because, especially at those high levels, was not because of love. It was like getting mm -hmm. together. And so the same thing with these conversions. But it's a, such a fascinating story. She, she does not play, right? No. <laughs> she doesn't at all. And it's like amazing. And yes, that's so true. And a lot of the times, I mean, when people were... When people, when your emperor was whatever faith they were, you everybody had to be that faith at this time. That's how it was. So I do also think it's great that she, even though Olga was just like, okay, let's like, let's probably just be Christians for now because we don't want to piss anybody off. But she also was like, okay, I don't care if other people are Christian. I mean, she she actually made it better for everybody in the kingdom so that nobody was being persecuted for whatever. So if you were a pagan, cool. If you were a Christian, cool. And Olga was like, let's all just get along. That's fine. So. We, Olga, we stand, we love you so much. And so this comes to the end of the show. So, Madam Pamita, tell us where we can find you and what you have going on and anything you want to talk about. Yes. Well, I've got a couple things I can share that I think are a lot of fun. So um, they, everyone can find me at parlorofwonders.com. That's my website. So it's P-A-R-L-O-U-R of wonders.com um that's where you can find me i do tarot readings all my things that i sell and my classes and i also have two really fun things i mean i've got lots going on i've got workshops i got this that but there's two things that i want to invite your listeners to one is yes. i have a live magic q a that takes place every sunday and that's going to be uh, it's at 5 p.m pacific 
Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's every Sunday except for the first Sunday. First Sunday, I have a paid workshop um, mm -hmm. during that same time. Um, and if they want to join me, all they have to do is go to spellsquad.com. It's on Zoom. You don't. You come in, your camera's off, your mic's off. You don't have to worry. You can come as you are. But you can. we record our podcast episode for the first half, and then the second half, I answer your questions about magic. So if you want to know about Baba Yaga, you want to know about candle magic, spiritualism, animism, shamanism, these areas that I am move in and I'm familiar with, that can be a great way to get those question answers, and it's absolutely free. Just join me, and we have a great time. It's a really great community there, too. The second thing I want to tell people about is that there's the, uh, sorry, I'm going to pause for just a second. My Siri went on for some reason. I want to get it. Go away. 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 How do I make it? I'm not used to working with, there you go. I don't use Siri and it just pops on. That's <laughs> The second thing I want to let people know about is the, on Wednesday evenings on YouTube, I have a YouTube channel. So if you go to youtube.com slash Madam Pamita, M-A-D-A-M-E-P-A-M-I-T-A. -A -A. Um, they can join me on Wednesday evenings. It's 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, so it's a little late. But the reason for that is my friend Yvonne in Kiev is feeds seniors. He buys groceries. He has a fundraiser where he's buying groceries and buying two weeks of groceries for these seniors who are um, really, really suffering under this war. And particularly suffering with food scarcity. They have to make decisions between mm. heat and food or medicines and food, and no one should be that, and also being bombed and all these other things on top of it. Yeah. So Yvonne buys two weeks of groceries, $40 buys two weeks of basic, good, healthy food, you know, for these seniors, and he delivers it to these seniors, and he tries to hit them once a month. He has 200 seniors that he takes care of, which is amazing. So what oh we do God, on Wednesday amazing. night is we I do tarot readings. It's called Tarot for Kindness. And I do tarot readings for $10 a card. 100% of that money goes to feed seniors in Ukraine. So I really want to invite people to do that. So just go to my YouTube channel and subscribe and hit the notification bell. Or And if you want to find out more about it, you can go to tarotforkindness.com. It'll take you to the page on my website that'll tell you all about it when it happens give you the link to my YouTube channel, show you where you can donate. And if you want to donate without getting your tarot reading, there's links to do that as well. So we started this a couple of weeks ago and we're going to continue it every Wednesday as long as I'm in town and as long as this war is going on and he's feeding these seniors. Mm -hmm. um, so this is what this is what I love is I love this grassroots. Like we get to see he posts videos and translates. He speaks great English. He translates what the seniors are saying. So you actually get to see the people that you're helping. And it's such a moving thing. These, some of these seniors are, in, you know, in bedridden, can't get out of the house. I mean, mm. it's like they're, these are really people in need. And you see the joy that he brings them when he, you know, solves that little problem of food, you know, solves that where am I going to, where, how am I going to eat? It's just amazing. It's so it touches the heart. You'll you'll cry. You'll feel warmth in your heart as well. And you can get a fun tarot reading. We do these live tarot readings, and we raise a couple hundred dollars every Wednesday night. You know, and that that feeds a, a you know handful of seniors, and it's great. So I hope you'll join me on these these two fun things. They're both free. You don't have you can come and just listen to the tarot readings. You don't have to donate if you don't have any money. Come and just hang out with us and show support. You know, in that way. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. It's so sweet. 
Oh, yeah, we want to give everybody as much help as we can. So all those links are going to be in the show notes so you can find Madame Panama, Tarot for Kindness. Everything will be there so you can you can look her up and go on the live and donate if you if you can. So or just yeah, hang out with yeah, her if you yeah. can. Um, both of these yeah. things are free to join, free to come in. And the tarot readings are $10 a card. So you can get like a three card reading for $30, you know, and I'll answer your question. You type oh. your question in and I answer. It's a lot of fun. We have a good time. Yay. I love that. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being here and talking and chatting. This is this is so fun. So everybody, like I said, I thank Madam Padme so much for coming. And just my last little plug. So I'm Ashley, Dying with the Divine on Instagram and Dying with the Divine on Facebook. Like I said, if you enjoy the show, you can give us a like. You can follow us. You can give us a five-star rating. That helps me get seen and everything like that. And if you want to follow me, I'm Sam Cope at H-S-O-N-K-O-F-A-H-S on Instagram and I'm Sam Cope at Healing Sanctuary on Facebook. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. Bye.